Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and yes, even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. Once again, I'm McGee, um, and my co-host David Paro is on the road traveling to Australia this time, um, but he will be back next week. So we're going to go with a very simple format. Um, we are really pleased to have a guest. So without further ado, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. All right. So we are really happy to have our next guest. Uh, Julie Tyson is the Senior Vice President of Corporate Partnerships for Global Strategy and Innovation at the PGA Tour. Much more importantly than that, I consider her dear friend. And if we have half as many laughs now that we've hit the record button as we did before we got on the air, you guys in for a treat. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here, and I cannot believe we're doing something where we're actually recording a conversation between you and I. <laughs> yeah, it might, be, it might be the only time in history where it's, uh, it doesn't get either one of us in trouble, too. <laughs> I know. I'm looking for, like, the beep button to stop myself. <laughs> Well, David will be editing this, and he is—he uh, has to date proven to be very good at keeping me out of trouble, and so I'm sure he will do the same with you if if it comes to that. But I don't think it will. So, so let's get to it. I wanna—I wanna start at the beginning, right? Um, at least the beginning of your professional career. You came out of Indiana University, and by the way, you are our second guest from Indiana University. David Wright being the first. Oh, another, I mean, that guy is brilliant. So he's doing the Hoosiers crowd. Yes, as are you. So you came out of Indiana University um, and you started your career in media. Um, so take us through the beginning of your career. I guess we'll answer that last question first, right? How did you get your start in the media business? And then we'll, and we'll talk about the transition to the world of golf where you had a very long and illustrious career. Uh, well, I'd love to say that my start in the media business was um, all, you know, forethought. And I, by the time I was in eighth grade, I had this whole plan. But really, it got to a point where I was graduated from college. My parents weren't really excited about my my plan for myself, where I was mostly just kind of kicking around all summer long. And they basically said, it's time for you to get off the couch. Like, you got to go do something. That was like the big impetus. We had a family friend who um, had a son who oversaw a team at CATS Communications in Chicago. And so they basically helped get me started as an assistant at CATS. And, you know, CATS is a spot rep firm. I learned a lot there. And it was like very entry level. I started, you know, I'm running to get people sandwiches, like the whole thing. So it was um, not a real glamorous role. And but I use that as a stepping stone in each job that I would take. I would just think, OK, what are the things I liked and what are the things that I don't want to do anymore? And then I would each job I would go from there trying to keep more of what I liked and get rid of uh, what I didn't. And so I went from there to uh, Raycom, which got acquired by ESPN while I was there. And my boss at the time is a guy, the great John Rawati, who is the founder oh, wow. uh -huh, of Revolution, I think is the name of his yes. company now. And he was my boss at the time, just a young buck. He was just getting out of his, he was just getting his MBA while we were working together. And he got a job to go and open the Fox Sports Net office in Detroit. So 
I went to work for him in Detroit and like three months into the gig, he got hired away by CART, auto racing, open wheel racing, which is now defunct, but he left me. So three months into it, I'm there by myself. And, in Detroit, uh, of all places. In Detroit, I'd moved, and I'm now running Fox Sports Net, and then they gave me FX to also oversee, and it was a lot for a 20-something person to do all that. And um, it was the most formative, difficult, uh, greatest learning experience of my career. And, uh, you know, the part where I get into golf is here. It's one day I'm, I'm going to board a plane in, like, March – to go deliver an upfront presentation in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's dark, it's freezing cold, and I'm loaded down with all this stuff for my upfronts. And I thought in my head, I gotta, I gotta get a, I gotta get something new going. This is, I can't, I need better weather. And golf was the, uh, you can see I'm a simple-minded person. Golf is warm weather, and uh, that attracted my attention. It planted a seed, and you know, I must have just manifested that or something. And we got from there, I got connected to Ty Vota who was mm -hmm. at the LPGA at the time he was a vice president of tournament affairs. When he became the commissioner, he, we had, you know, had a couple conversations in advance and then he came back and offered me a role to oversee the LPGA television. And that was, that was the road to the, to the, to golf for me. You know, we have a lot of people who drop names, not, you know, in a sort of a humble brag sort of way. So I'm not suggesting you're doing it that way. But you've dropped some two big ones already. In the first question, John Rawati and Ty Vota. So kudos to you. Yeah, um, Ty's, Ty's remained probably one of my closest friends. So that one, Rawati, I'd have to dig deep. We we bump into each other every once in a while. But uh, I just, as I'm talking to you, I'm having these flashbacks of us as young people working together. It was pretty fun. Oh, that's great. So, so you joined the L LPGA, and what does that role entail? Running television for the LPGA, like who was the TV deal with at that point? What did you, what did you do? What were your your goals and and sort of your your priorities there at the at the LPGA? So, at the time I joined the LPGA, it was a time buy, and so what they brought me on to do was to sell media, which I had a background in doing. I had been doing that at Fox Sports and at Raycom mm -hmm. and ESPN, so. It wasn't totally out of bounds for me. Over time, that grew to include some of the production uh, role where I would travel around uh, with ESPN and Golf Channel, sit in the truck and try to figure out how do we make the product more compelling, more interesting. And um, that was really great for me because very infrequently does a seller get to influence the product. And that was a really cool experience. It also helped me to get to know the players by traveling around a lot. And the ecosystem of golf, you know, you get to know it from the ground up where you're traveling around with people. And I really fell in love with the sport and the people, you know, at the LPGA, when you're there that early in the morning, you're with the television crew, you're seeing, you know, I remember when I was there, it was like Julie Inkster was a young mom. And so she's trying to, you know, be world number one while she's trying to get her kids situated and in daycare and digging around in the back of her trunk for a toy. Like those are things you just never see from professional athletes. And it really ingrained in my mind that not only are these people world-class athletes, but they're just incredible people. So that really cemented in my mind that golf was a place I really wanted to invest some time and energy. Okay. So you, you've had a variety of roles at the PGA Tour where you remain to this day. I want to talk specifically about your role as a tournament director and how that is unique and different from what you what some of the other roles you you may have had. 
Yeah, that was like a hard right turn because most of my career has either been account management or sponsorship sales. And so mm -hmm. running a tournament, <clears throat> you build basically a small city on top of a golf course and then you tear it all down and it takes months to do it. I think the biggest thing about running a tournament that's different than sales or, or account management is you really have to be a big part of the community. You know, you're really taking over all of their traffic, all of, you know, you got to work with the, the local legislature and make sure that you're getting the mayor and everybody involved in the event. You bring along the community. That part's different. And then just, you know, I have, um, I have no sense of direction. I have no sense of visual acuity. So the idea that I would oversee an ops team uh, should have been concerning to people. Thankfully, we had really, really like super talented people in that role, but it, it's a lot. It's a lot of detail. It's a lot of people. It was an incredible experience and I would highly recommend it to anybody. Yeah, as if anybody could do it, right? But you, you sell yourself short with, uh, but yeah, and, and it was, you know, and it wasn't like it was some small event, right? It was one of the playoff <laughs> events. <laughs> It was a playoff event and we were doing that in and around New York and New Jersey, which adds all kinds of complications. So it wasn't like I picked the easiest market to run my first tournament. But thankfully, you know, we have collections of events that we own and operate and then we have others that we just co-sanction. Mm -hmm. And so I look at this like we're a franchisee. Like we had I had all kinds of access to the PJ tour and resources and things that could help guide me. I, I you'll laugh at this, but I I never had any media training and I was supposed to go on to like I you know, go on TV. And I called my boss and I said, I've never been media trained. Like what, what should I be doing something? And he said, well, what's the scariest question you think you're going to get? And so I answered, I told him and he said, well, what would your answer be? And I said, I shared my answer. He said, good, just do that. <laughs> so that was my media training. <laughs> because New Yorkers and media uh, consumers in general are just very forgiving people, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And it's not like I'm on just some local channel. It's like New York media and I'm up against the Yankees, the Giants, the Mets. I mean, like these are, you know, blue chip brands in, in and of themselves. So I was a little intimidated when I first started in the role. Right. Let, let's take a, a, a bit of a different direction. The tour has over many years now promoted inclusion. Um, but it's still viewed in some ways as an exclusive sport. Um, how does the tour um, approach BE and I um, in a sport that continues to, rightly or wrongly, have that reputation as as an exclusive one? Well, look, I'm not going to argue with you that from a DE and I perspective, we're way behind the curve. Uh, it took us a long time to get going uh, and start to. Um, walk the talk. I, I know our entire executive team, our board of directors, our players, I know a lot of those guys personally, and I know their predispositions and their, you know, the, the perception of it being not an open or, or an inclusive sport is not an accurate perception. That being said, um, we have to do more to invite mm -hmm. people into the game. And I think it starts with making it, um, we just have to invite people. So that's one is just let people know that they're welcome and to do things to demonstrate that the people are welcome. I, I can tell you a couple, a few years ago, we started, uh, Tim, as you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gay and we started the LGBTQ plus 
employee resource group at the PGA Tour. And I was sort of hesitant because I thought, well, how's this going to go? And within 18 months, we were ranked by the Human Rights Campaign uh, in the 97th percentile places to work. If that's, you're LGBTQ+. That's amazing. Plus. That, and that's I think amazing. It's, a, it's a real credit to the PGA Tour because you know, we we outlined all of the things where we were had fallen short relative to what, you know, the guidelines that the HRC gave us. And we didn't really get any pushback. They just didn't, you know, the administration didn't know what things to affect or how to go about it. We showed them how and we just immediately plowed right through. And um, it was a game changer. And I think, you know, you can see that all happening all around the, the PGA Tour. And, and I'll get off this topic. I'm, it's one I'm very passionate about. But I would also say that a big part of our culture starts at the top. And as you know, you know, Jay Monaghan is the commissioner. I worked for him. I consider him a friend. He is absolutely the right guy for this time. And he has mm -hmm. been so supportive of every step we've tried to take from a DE&I perspective. And it wouldn't happen without his support and his his drive to support it. That, that's great. And it's so good to hear because it's, you know, at the, at the end of the day, LGBTQ uh, plus rights are human rights, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something that impacts every single one of us. And it doesn't matter. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, speaking about Jay and some of the changes that he has instituted, right? Your title, as I mentioned at the onset, it includes global strategy and innovation. Um, and the tour has been nothing if not innovative, um, especially in the, in the recent past and, and now. Um, to tell our audience a little bit about what you're most excited about with some of these recent innovations and what we can look forward to maybe throughout the rest of the season and, and going into next season and beyond. Well, you know, some of the lesser known things that we've done because our schedule has has rightly been front and center in everybody's minds and the changes we've made, which are profound, right? Like that's that's mm -hmm. pretty innovative to really modify the entire complexion of your schedule. But, you know, we rebuilt our entire mobile app coming into this season, uh, but with all the other noise that might have been overlooked, we introduced uh, Golf Plus VR, which if you haven't seen it, go online and look at it. It's super cool. It's a way to play the game where it's very immersive. You know, people have talked a little bit about um, Full Swing and Netflix, bringing new fans to the game mm -hmm. and dimensionalizing our players where mostly you're just seeing them walk up and down, you know, the fairways. It's hard to get a real read on what these guys are like off course or what they're like as human beings. Those things are super um, intriguing to me. And as a person who is, you know, I, I, I know these guys, so I want everybody to see their dimension, right? Um, but the schedule would be hard to walk away from as you're talking about innovation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and watching that come to fruition and the steps and the process, um, it's been a real game changer for me and, and professionally just watching how our organization went about it because there's no roadmap for any of this stuff. I mean, we went through two years of COVID and then we went into completely overhauling our schedule. So uh, it's been a busy handful of years here at the PGA Tour. Yeah, and and it, it seems that there's a there's a new number one every week, right? It goes back and forth. The, the competition has been great um, on the event so far this year. Uh, but when we look at the innovation, we look at the change you guys is the changes you guys are instituting. Um, how do you see that playing out? in the areas that that you're looking to impact whether it's sponsorship whether it's viewership whether it's um general fan engagement um and ultimately maybe even driving down as you know into increased continued increased participation because 
the participation numbers have gone up since COVID, which is a obviously a great barometer for this for the sport. Well, I think you know um, the most important thing is to put out the most competitive, the best version, the best presentation of the PGA Tour, right? Like that's what fans want to see. That's what sponsors want to be engaged in, and. Um, we're really lucky in the fact that in the last year or two, our players have come, have rallied around the idea of helping us to reformulate our product and our, our presentation of the PGA tour. And at every level, not just to focus on the top players. I know there's a lot of discussion about that, but to take care of every level of player and to make sure that what comes out is competition. And so what, what has, I don't know if this has been announced or not been announced, but, so from January through August, there'll be four reshuffle periods now. So guys will start to tee it up. And if you're not automatically uh, guaranteed to be in one of the designated events, you have the opportunity to play your way in. That gives tons of meaning and consequence to events that maybe you just watch and you're just watching for a winner every week. Now you're watching for points accumulation and who's getting in and who's going to mm -hmm. propel themselves forward. So there's a lot more interest and intrigue that we'll get to see in the, you know, week in and week out. And then in the designated events, you know, everybody wants to see the stars go head to head more frequently. And so this gives us that opportunity to allow them to do that. And you keep seeing that, you know, you've seen it. This has been a supercharged start to our year. If you've watched any golf this year, it's been really exciting. And it's not just all the stars that are making it exciting. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, Speaking of the stars, right, two of the game's biggest stars who have been very vocal in their support of the tour over the last couple of years, Rory McIlroy and, and Tiger Woods, have um, have created, uh, do you say it TMRW or do you pronounce it Tomorrow Golf? Tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow golf. golf and 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 TGL, right? So what can fans expect from TGL and how closely are you guys at the tour working with TGL? Um, as it goes into net, as it begins play next year. So we're working really closely. In fact, during the Players Championship, we host our a huge sponsor summit. And Mike McCarley, who's the president of Tomorrow Golf um, and T or Tomorrow and TGL, came and spoke to our sponsor base. So we're working very closely. We think that's going to be a great offering to our partners, and mm -hmm. we'll you know augment kind of some of the things that they're able to do during competition weeks. What's unique about it is McCarley knowing what he knows about golf. Um, it's a Monday night offering when people are still clamoring to watch golf, but there's nothing on it except for highlights. So he's picked a wonderful time. And then the second part of it is just some of the technology. I don't know how familiar you are with what they're doing, but they're going to change the undulation. It's, it's basically, if you, so um, it's a game where PGA tour pros are going to be able to play um, kind of virtually, but mm -hmm. on a physical stage. And the stage itself will change its physical composition from hole to hole. So the undulations in the green will change from one hole to the next. And it's kind of like Disneyland in a way uh, for golf. I think that that's going to be fun. They've infused timeouts where you can ice a player. So they're bringing in other competitive elements, which I think will make it even more fun. Um, and then they've got like an owner's box if you're a sponsor where you're right up close to the action. So they're they're really thinking about things in a in a really interesting way. And I think um, it's a nice supplement to what we're doing um, Thursday through Sunday. Mm -hmm. That's great. Before we let you go, um, we have two questions that we ask all our guests. You answered the first one 
um, at the beginning when you talked about how you uh, you were forced off the couch. I'm sorry that your parents were so cruel to you. <laughs> you made you actually go out and get a job. I know, I should have um, made myself sound a little more motivated, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe you were backpacking through the Appalachian Trail or something, but no, then you said you were on your couch. Have me on again, I can make something else up. <laughs> okay, well, an apocryphal tale at the beginning of Julie Tyson's long and storied career mm -hmm. uh, but before we get to that um what's one piece of advice you have for somebody who's looking to break into the sports industry uh i to me i think the most jay told me this jay monahan who's the commissioner told me this once um when i was struggling with something it was like a problem i couldn't figure out how to solve it and he said you know use your network someone will is always there to help you just just think about your network and who can be helpful. And I would say in trying to break in or get a new job or make a career transition, lean on your friends, lean on the people that you know. Um, you know, we're we are all going to be there. It's a human condition where we're all going to ready, be ready to make a change or need something. And that's what you need your friends to help you do. And your network can really mobilize and rally around you. I, to me, that's always worked is I'm always there for people. Um, they're there for me. You and I have done that in mm -hmm. our career together. Mm -hmm. uh, helped each other out. And I think that's what makes a really a good career something more fun is that your friendships become something, you know, that you really lean on and cherish. I, I couldn't agree more. And I am so proud to call you a friend. And Julie, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Um, I know how busy your schedule is. This is so fun. Thanks. And it's great to see your face. It's great to see you as well. Thank you again to Julie Tyson of the PGA Tour, a dear friend of mine and a phenomenal guest. I uh, can't thank her enough. This is the part of the show where we take a look forward. And since David's not here, I'm going to tell you what I'm looking forward to in the next week or so. First of all, uh, hope springs eternal, as Alexander Pope famously wrote. Um, and this Thursday starts Major League Baseball. So I'm looking forward to my beloved Yankees getting off with 21-year-old phenom Anthony Volpe penciled in to start at shortstop. Obviously, I'm looking forward to the men's and women's Final Four. We're going to have some great games, um, and we'll see who gets crowned champion. I'm not going to prognosticate. Um, okay, maybe I am. I'm going to pick UConn on the men's side, and I really think that despite uh, Caitlin Clark and, and her heroics uh, for Iowa, I think um, – South Carolina is going to complete an undefeated season. So if I'm right, um, you may see the video. If I'm wrong, you definitely will see the video. So to those of you who listen, thank you. Um, share us, follow us, give us your feedback. Uh, until next week, uh, I'm McGee, and we'll be welcoming back David. Thanks. Thanks.